0: Give me a beach Ouch!
1: The J files on double J. Out of control. Singer-songwriter, rapper, and master collaborator. Mm. When Nena Cherry stepped out on national television in 1988 and performed her breakout single while 7 months pregnant, the world stood up and took notice. It was gutsy, unmistakably feminine and legendary. Gab Burke here, J-Files producer at Double J, and this is the J-Files podcast. And on this podcast, we dive into the Double J archives to bring you the stories behind the music. And today, we'll look at how Nana Cherry's unusual upbringing laid the foundations for an incredible musical career. How she totally owned her unique Swedish-American English background and became one of the first ladies of UK hip-hop with a style all her own. About the song she credits as the moment she truly found her style. The style
2: of the song, the spirit and the feeling of the song has reappeared. It always reappears along the way in other songs that I've written. Therefore, it became the most significant song that I ever wrote in a way.
1: Why she all but disappeared for 18 years.
2: I just needed to be kind of like not in the middle and like in the headlights.
1: And what made her return? It was a very
2: immediate kind of experimental way of working and it really
1: woke me up. But the way in which Nena burst onto the world stage in the late 80s was quite unusual for the time and it definitely caused a stir. She performed her breakout single Buffalo Stance on UK TV show Top of the Pops. She was seven months pregnant at the time. This feisty female rapper totally owning the stage in sneakers, a bomber jacket, a chunky gold chain and a gloriously prominent baby bonus. She owned who she was and she wasn't going to be shuffled off to the side. Stance was also one of the first times that she would team up with her future husband, Cameron McVeigh, who has worked with Nena on much of her work over the years, under his own name or pseudonyms like Booger Bear and Bert Ford. But before she rocked Top of the Pops, before she became a rapper extraordinaire, she was a kid from Sweden called Nenna Marian Carlson. Her mum was an artist who married the famous jazz trumpeter, Don Cherry. And Nana grew up surrounded by incredible musicians, artists, and creative types. Don Cherry was such a huge influence on her life that she took his surname. When she was sixteen, she moved to London and joined the punk scene. I was sharing a house with Ari from the Slits. And I kinda of... Paul thought you were in the slits. Were you in the slits?
2: I was in the slits later.
3: Momentarily. Right near the <laughs> end of the slits. Right I... near
2: the end of the <laughs> slits. In fact, I sung on some of the last demos that they did because they moved on to, um, or over to, to CBS right at the end of the Slits days, and we did some stuff that, that was never released.
1: And she spent years working with various artists, experimenting and finding her own sound, her scene, and her crowd. So much like this track she did with producer Adrian Sherwood in 1983. Sherwood was the founder of dub label On New Sounds, and in the early 80s, he and Nana were experimenting with drum machines. So she had this incredible but unusual upbringing, travelling the world with her family as her dad took his music on the road. And it appears that this really fostered her musical aspirations. It couldn't have been easy for a young family to live the life of a touring musician, but she explained to Tim Ritchie in 1989 how they made it work.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that my family actually managed to kind of travel with the home. It wasn't just a question of putting a few things into a suitcase. I mean, when we went, we were like, you know, a serious posse. And we'd always kind of set up home in the hotel room or wherever we were staying and, you know, I always made lots of friends and got on with people. Like, for instance, we went to Turkey once, and we stayed there for a few months. And the first day I was there, I went out on the street thinking I could speak Turkish. <laughs> and I was, like, speaking some odd foreign language with all the kids on the street. And, and you know, we got on like a house on fire. So, you know, I've always managed to communicate and get get to get what I need. <laughs>
1: Rip, rig and panic with constant drudgery is harmful to soul, spirit and health. On uh, lead vocals, there was a woman called Nina Cherry. So did that take you back a couple of years?
3: Oh God, I was just dying. (laughs) It's so funny because I've never, ever, ever, ever listened to those records. I mean, even when they just just come out, I didn't play them because... um, You know, they just sort of freaked me out too much.
1: (laughs) That was fantastic stuff. This is like when I first started going crazy about music.
3: It's exciting. You know, and I think what Rick and Panic was doing was just, you know, really alive and, and... and really kind of inspiring and I'm mean, i really glad that I did it and that's kind of like the background that I've got but um I mean I just die you know when I hear my singing and stuff like that song for instance I mean I've like never been in the studio and I just kind of went in there and just you know did it (laughs) it's just so sick
1: And was that was that a success in any way? Did that get you started on anything in particular or was that just something that happened and didn't make any difference well, to you? Well I
3: what think happened? it was Rip Rig and Panic was quite a credible thing because I mean it had this sort of energy that a lot of kind of musical fusions might have had at that time, you know, post punk or whatever. But well, Rip Rig and Panic was actually a bit more musical. And um I think that's why like critics and, and sort of people really went for it. We had more of an underground following than an overground following, you know, like we never really got that much radio play. We never made it into the charts. But we were constantly touring and, and um, you know, getting around. So a few people were definitely into it.
1: What happened between the times of Rip Rig and Panic and the times of Buffalo Stance and those years in between? What were you doing?
3: Well, directly after Rip, Rig, and Panic, I was in a band called Float Up CP, and that was kind of like a continuation of Rip, Rig, and Panic. And then after we split up, I just kind of got into writing my own material, and that is something that I've been developing over the last couple of years. And also I've been demoing and just kind of finding the sound and the direction that I wanted to go in. I sort of knew that I didn't really want to be in another band situation as such. I knew that I wanted to be in a situation where I could kind of work with people, um, different kinds of people and, and, and for the actual relationships to be a bit more open, you know.
1: at this point she pursued a solo career she would come back to the idea of working with a band at a later stage and we're going to get to that soon but raw like sushi was her hugely successful debut album released in 1989 like much of nana's work it was a highly collaborative process which is a nod towards the many artists she would come to work with down the track for now, though, it was a matter of finding the sound she was after. She explained to Tim Ritchie how her musical ideas were developing from the rough post punk funk of Rip Rig and Panic and the smoother funk of Float Up CP.
3: Um, I think that it's a natural development, but I mean, I don't think. I think Buffalo Stance is a good introduction to what's on the rest of the album, for, for instance. But for me personally, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like the stuff that I'm. I'm Really committed to is on the album. Buffalo Stance was more of a sort of throwaway, spirited thing that I'm I'm proud of, but the real kind of heart rendering, deep down stuff is is on the album. Um, obviously, I mean I've developed since the Rip Rig days, and and everyone has grown, and and this is like the continuation of what that was. I hope that the a similar sort of energy and attitude still exists in what I do now. And, and also, I always try and keep an element of rawness and, and a challenge in there, you
0: know.
1: While Buffalo Stance was the big single off the debut album, Nana told Miff Warhurst in 2015, there's a different song on Raw Like Sushi that she says was the moment she found her sound. I think
2: Manchild was the song where I kind of found my style. You know, uh, the style of the song, the spirit and the feeling of the song has reappeared. It always reappears along the way in other songs that I've written. Therefore, it became the most significant song that I ever wrote in a way because I'd been demoing and working on other material and had the shapings of what was to become Raw Like Sushi. And of course, Buffalo Stance was the song that came out first that within its sort of cheeky, funny spirit affected a lot of people and kind of opened a lot of doors. But I think Manchild, in a way to me was more significant mm. because it was deeper. I think that to me Buffalo Stance is tongue in cheek. In a funny sort of way, it's always reappearing and it has a kind of slightly timeless thing to it. But I think Man Child is deeper, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's more it's more of something. And it was the first song that I sat down and really wrote um, using a, a this kind of funny little... Casio keyboard thing that which Cam still and I... Which use. Which I still use. <laughs> and it has an auto chord um, thing. I was riding the bus a couple days before and I came up with, you know, is it the pain of the, of the drinking or the Sunday sinking feeling? Is okay. it the pain of the drinking
0: or the Sunday sinking feeling?
2: So I had that line. Yeah. And then I was just fiddling around with the auto chord and... Uh, ended up with seven chords in the verse. It was funny, my dad, he was like, he, when we, after we'd recorded the tune, called me up one time. He was like, yo, that's pretty jazz. You yeah, got seven really chords jazz. in the verse. <laughs> he was like, shit, that's cool. And then we took it to the studio and and um, Nelly Hooper from Soul to Soul was around and he did the beat for it. And um, actually, came up with 3D to write the rap. So he wrote the rap for Manchild, and actually, Cameron, my husband, I like gave him a dictaphone with me and the Casio, and you know, a little book with the lyrics. <laughs> and then he he shaped it. You know, yeah. he took all the bits and made it make sense. But then we just had this thing of like, well, it should just be beats and strings, really, mm. not a lot else. Manchild.
1: So 3D, aka Robert Del Naja from Massive Attack, wrote the rap to Manchild, and since the early 80s, Nena has been hanging with the Bristol crew. They're actually the wild bunch that she refers to in Buffalo Stance. Her relationship with Massive Attack was pretty pivotal. She was instrumental in getting their debut album, Blue Lines, off the ground. She and her husband Cameron recorded much of the album in their back room. Off the back of the success of Raw like Sushi and her ever-increasing profile, she recorded a song for an AIDS-benefit album called Red Hot and Blue in 1990, where she tackled the Cole Porter classic, I've Got You Under My Skin.
0: so I had to sit down and take time and think of how to spread the word to people all across the land, to make sure they putting out a helping hand, nana cherry, no story so we must be told about Slowly they fade from an immune deficiency, you see caught AIDS. No knowledge of the fact kept in the dark. Scolds my soul and it hurts my heart. The young and elderly just running blind. Hurt so bad, it denied the own kind. Papa, turn around and say that ain't mine. And it just made it worse for life on the line. And
1: On her second album, Homebrew, she teamed up with R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe. And it's at this point, something unusual but excellent happens. One of New York's finest, the notorious B.I.G., remixes Nana Cherry's Buddy X. It was one of the very rare occasions that Biggie remixed a song. What's up?
3: Crack whip, what's too smooth to fall for the stick and move, stick and move, I'm in the
1: Collaborations followed with her third album, 1996's Man. She teams up with Senegalese singer Yasuna Dua. She covers James Brown. This
0: is a
1: Woman is her take on the 1966 track, It's a Man's 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 World. This is a world for this man's girl. And she also works with Bristol artist Tricky, whose relationship with Nena goes back to the early Massive Attack days.
0: It's at this point in her
1: career, three albums under her belt, that she would appear to the outside world to take a step back. But that's not really what happened at all. She spoke to Miff Warhurst about it in 2015.
2: I just needed to be kind of like not in the middle and like in the headlights. Just like hanging out a little bit to the side. I'm I've brought three incredible human beings into the world that teach me stuff every day, and I, you know, I needed to take some of the plates out of the air that I was juggling around, and and just be in my own kind of creation of, you know, my own the life that I was making, and and you know, thank God I did that. But then there's this sort of weird thing where 18 years passed and I didn't... It's not that it was a mistake, but I like where those 18 years went.
0: Out of the
2: All that time passed as quickly as it did.
1: While she didn't release another solo album for 18 years... During this time, she never stopped working and collaborating. It was kind of a step to the side to raise her children, but she also spent this time working with and championing other artists. In 2002, she worked on a compilation album by an electronic music duo called One Giant Leap. And for the track Braided Hair, she teamed up with Speech from Arrested Development.
0: Yo, we all got things that hang in the back Things that make us cool, things that make us whack Things that make us mad. Things we wish we never had but they're just the things that make us real Not the map's the guide where we go from here The road twists and grays like hair Until we all get back yeah.
1: Nena has a bunch of musical siblings and in 2000 she teamed up with one of them. It's her stepbrother Eagle Eye Cherry who you might be more familiar with for this huge track. Say tonight Fight the
0: come Tomorrow
1: but tonight. the track that Nina and Eagle Eye worked on together was long way around.
0: People will you know will be lost with yeah. the shades down. People will always take long way you know will be lost the long way around.
1: She featured on Pulp's huge album, This Is Hardcore, in the late 90s. Nena teamed up with Cher, Chrissy Hind, and Eric Clapton for a cover of the Juds track Love Can Build a Bridge.
0: I would whisper love so loudly, every heart can understand. Then love and only love can join the tribes of me. I would give my heart's desire so With you and me Love can build your
1: heart. And she's worked with Groove Armada, Peter Gabriel, Swedish rapper Peter, German DJ Timo Mast, Quartet, Africa Baby Bam, and you recognise her vocals on this track by Gorillaz. When Nana came back to working in a band again. In the mid 2000s, her husband Cameron McVeigh and daughter Tyson recruited her into a trip hop group called Circus. Because we... And in 2012, she teamed up with a jazz trio called The Thing, who were big fans of Nana's late stepfather Don Cherry. They released an album together called The Cherry Thing, and the process of making this album was the catalyst for her first solo album in 18 years. You treat me like
2: The thing that sort of happened, making the Thing record, was so forceful and I really remembered who I was making that record and it was a very immediate kind of experimental way of working and it really woke me up. Um, You know, because we just basically went in the studio and made half the record in one afternoon and then we did the rest of the album over three days. It's nuts. But it was just like, we just chose tracks, we knew, kind of, we had an idea of the spirit of the music that we wanted to record. You know, so it just felt like having made that record, it was just like, this is is where I'm at home right now. Mm. Like in this sort of like, not being able to overthink things too much.
1: It was the thing's saxophonist, Mats Gustafsson, who introduced Nena to Kieran Hebden from Fortet during the recording of The Cherry Thing. Fortet was a crucial part of Nana's return to work. In 2014, she released her fourth album, Blank Project. Her first solo album for 18 years, and it was produced by Kieran.
0: Too many times you-
1: On the album, she enlisted the help of a synth drum duo called Rocket Number no. Nine to get a particular sort of sound for the album.
2: Rocket Number no. Nine bought the sound because, you know, no doubt I wanted it to be an electronic record and, a, mm. you know, a, a, to have that force. So it's like, how do you go about getting that without it becoming this sort of nicely sort of quantized? Rocket Number no. Nine, they do it live, you know. Yeah. And as soon as we met, it it was just, um, yeah, like, I feel like i would met my, my, like, two long-lost brothers, you know, and they are brothers as well, Ben and Tom. And so basically, we gave them the songs. Like, some of the stuff we went in the studio and worked out together in their little funny rehearsal room in Walthamstow, and then some of the stuff they would just have my vocals and stems, and then they would kind of, you know, improvise or come up with their own music. So we rehearsed lots. Before going to New York, we had the 10 songs. We were just sending the rehearsal tapes to Kieran. He was like, yeah, fine, yeah, fine. But pretty much he hadn't really heard what we were doing when we turned up. But he knew how he wanted to do it. He's a deep guy, Kieran. I mean, highly intellectual, but also very devoted to letting things be what they are and recording things in a kind of natural way. I mean, obviously is something that interests him. So I think it was very much about capturing the time and the space that we were in. And he was kind of almost taking, stripping things away rather than adding, and then here and there he would do a a sort of Kieranism production thing. But it was interesting because I've never worked with anyone that actually mixed the tracks as we went along. So on the fifth day when we finished the album, all the tracks were mixed.
0: I thought you were gone, out of my life. I'm not surprised, clever disguise. But you're like a demon, want to feed into satisfy, realize. Monkeys on my back, holding me down. Black dogs in the corner
1: all right that's it from me if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the j files podcast so that you get a fresh new episode in your feed each week and what's next on the j files podcast i'm gab burke catch you later the
3: j files